Section 27 of The Golden Web by E. Phillips Oppenheim. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Book Two, Chapter Six An Opportune Arrival. With his feet to the sea and his head pillowed by many cushions, Rowan lay in a long invalid chair at the edge of the little strip of shingle which separated the tower of Rankney from the sea. Every limb was at rest. Every nerve seemed lulled into quiescence. The sun and wind had left their traces upon his hollow cheeks. It seemed, indeed, as though death had lifted her hand from his forehead. It was only when one looked closer that one realized his terrible weakness, realized how slender, indeed, the thread was by which he held on to life. There was scarcely a breath of wind stirring. The sun was high in the heavens, and the whole country seemed lulled into a state of almost unnatural repose. The distant trees were motionless, as though, indeed, they were simply painted things against the background of the deep blue sky. The smoke from the little cluster of cottages crept upwards, straight as a ruled line. The cattle in the fields seemed all asleep, exhausted by the unexpected heat. The sea was like a lake, unruffled, almost unrippled. The man dozed, and Winifred sat by his side, with her eyes fixed steadily and yet absently upon the distant horizon. A week at most the doctor had given him, and after that, what? She looked backwards to the window, the window through which she had entered on that wild night earlier in the year. She looked away again, uneasily. She was afraid of such moments as these. It was to escape from them that she had protested so vehemently against their accepting Dean's offer of his cottage. At low tide, a rough pebbly road led from the village to the cottage, as well as the dyke footpath higher up. Along this came two people, a man and a woman, mere specks at first in the distance, but rapidly becoming more and more evident. They walked fast, and they looked always anxiously toward the tower, which stood out at the end of the road against the background of the sky, a curious, almost uncanny sort of building. "'If they see us coming,' said Ruby Sinclair, "'they will certainly try to prevent our seeing him.' Our only chance is to come upon them unexpectedly. They can watch the dyke path from the front, but few people ever come by this road. It winds about so, and it is generally thick with sea mud. The man nodded. He too was keeping his gaze fixed in a strained manner upon their goal. Now that we are so near, he said, so near to him, we will make him speak. We will not be driven away. He cannot escape from us there. There was a curious air of determination about these two, a certain grimness which seemed common to both of them as they hurried along the rough, stone-strewn road. They had reached the last hundred yards now, and their course was perfectly straight. They walked single file along the little stretch of marshland which served as a footpath. "'He is in front, lying on a chair,' she whispered. "'They won't be able to get him in now before we are there.' The road terminated suddenly upon the beach. The man and the girl scrambled up a little shingly mound. When at last Winifred heard the sounds of their approach, they were already between her and the house. Any attempt at escape was useless. She came a few steps toward them. 
"'Who are you, please, and what do you want?' she asked quickly. Hefferman stretched out a hand toward the prone figure of Rowan, who was lying there still with closed eyes. "'We want to have a few words with your brother,' he said. "'We shall not keep him long, but it is very important. "'We have come a long way to see him.' "'It is impossible,' she said firmly. "'He is very ill indeed. "'The doctor allows him to see no one. "'I don't know how you found your way here.' but you must please return at once. I have come a long way, Hefferman said slowly. I'm sorry, she answered, but can't you see that it makes no difference? If you were to ask him questions, he is not well enough to answer you, scarcely to understand. Any sudden shock at all, even a recognition, might kill him. Hefferman hesitated no longer. He pushed Winifred away and motioned to Ruby to follow him. At that moment Rowan opened his eyes and turned his head. Hefferman walked toward him and leaned over his chair. "'You remember me, Rowan?' he said. "'My name is Hefferman, Steve Hefferman. We were up the Newley Valley together, camped out, you know, at Prince's Gorge, for more than a month. You and I and Dean and a lot of us.' "'I remember,' Rowan faltered, trying to raise himself. "'Yes, I remember.' He had a fit of coughing. Winifred passed her arms around him and held him up. "'If you stay,' she whispered to Hefferman, "'you will kill him. He ought not to speak even a sentence.' "'It isn't much we want him to say, miss,' Hefferman answered doggedly. "'But there's a question he's got to answer. If he is as near death as you say, it can't make much difference what happens. And it means more than death to me and to this young lady.' Rowan had recovered sufficiently to drink from a glass which Winifred had handed to him. He turned once more toward Hefferman. "'That is all finished,' he said plainly. "'Those days. I am ill. Too ill to talk. Too ill to think. Too ill to live. Please go.' Hefferman bent over him. "'Rowan,' he said, "'you and I were never enemies, even if we didn't exactly hit it off together. Listen to me for a moment.' Sinclair borrowed my last three hundred pounds in Cape Town to come over here and lay claim to the little Anna gold mine. He had the government deed with him. I have seen it. I followed him over to claim my share, and I found him dead, killed, and the paper gone. I'm not asking you to give away your game, whatever it was, but we want the paper. This is Sinclair's niece with me, and I am his partner." We inherit his claim to the little Anna gold mine, and we want that document. The document was not amongst Sinclair's effects when they were examined after his death, Rowan said. I did not take it. I do not know what has become of it. That is the truth. Leave me alone now. I cannot talk any more. His head dropped back upon his pillow. He was white to the lips. Winifred hurried to his side. Once more she turned upon the two. "'Are you satisfied?' she cried. "'You have nearly killed him for nothing. "'I know very well that no document of any sort, "'such as you describe, has been found. "'If Mr. Sinclair ever had it, "'it was probably stolen from him.' "'Stolen? "'Yes,' Hefferman said. "'Stolen right enough. "'That is what we are here about. "'This young lady is his niece, "'and I am his partner. "'What was left behind belongs to us, "'and so far as I know, the only thing worth having was that document. We want it, and by God, he wound up, we've got to have it. Do you imagine, the girl asked, without change of countenance, 
that you will find it here. I will tell you what I do imagine, Hefferman answered. Men don't commit murder for nothing. Your brother tried to steal that paper, or rather he did steal it. The game's up now. He's no opportunity to make use of it, and it belongs to us. It belongs to us, and we've come for it. There, now you know the truth. We've come for it, and we've come to stop until we get it. Rowan raised himself a little in his seat. Hefferman, he said, it's no use talking like that. I haven't got it. I'll be frank, frank as you have been. I know no more than you do who has got it. I quarreled with Sinclair, and he got suspicious. We fought in his room, and the result you know. But I was arrested before I left the hotel. Everybody knows that. The paper, I never had it. I never saw it. Where it is now, God only knows. I don't. Rowan fell back in his chair, coughing violently. For several moments he was incapable of speech. Winifred knelt by his side. When he had finished coughing, she held a wine glass to his lips and made him sip its contents. He lay back now, as though completely exhausted. She turned to face these unwelcome visitors. You see, she cried, pointing to him, a little more of this, and you will kill him. Go away, both of you. He has nothing to tell you. Hefferman laughed a little brutally. Come, he said, this game won't do. We are here for the truth, not to be put off with these fairy tales. It is the truth we want, and the truth we'll have, or I'll wring it out of him, even if it kills him. Rowan's eyes were closed, and he showed no signs of having heard. Winifred stood boldly before him. You are fools, she said. He has told you all he knows. If Sinclair ever had the deed you speak of, he parted with it to someone else, not to my brother. Someone else, Hefferman repeated. Do you take us for fools? If he parted with that deed, he parted with it for a fortune. Where's the money? Show us the deed or the money, and we are satisfied. Show us neither, and we'll not leave this place until he has spoken. A step upon the shingle behind suddenly diverted their attention. The eyes of every one of them were fixed upon the tall figure who was walking swiftly up the slope. They had been so engrossed that they had not even heard the sound of the motor car, which was standing there, splashed with mud, and with its engine still panting. With his glasses in his hand, and his long gray coat thrown open, Sterling Dean strode up to them. Come, he said, it seems to me that I have arrived opportunely. What does this mean? Who are these people? Miss Sinclair, is this man your companion? What does he mean by speaking in such a tone to a dying man? No one answered him. Hefferman stood as though turned to stone, but his eyes never left Dean's. End of chapter 27